This is the Visit the Zoo podcast, episode number 67, where today we hear about the penguins. Also, chapter 13 from my novel, Noah, an animal adventure fantasy, and introducing Sky. Hello and welcome everybody to the Visit the Zoo podcast. This is episode number 67 and I am your host, Frederick Fishman, and I am the author of the 12 book, 120 animal series of Kindle, print, and audio books, also available on audible.com, DVD, and all of that is available on amazon.com. We are going to drop in chapter 13, the next to the last chapter from my novel, Noah, an Animal Adventure Fantasy. And so we're going to keep it short on the front end. But I did want to introduce somebody who is joining me in the studio today. And this is our mini toy poodle. And her name is Sky, And she's with me on my lap. And Sky, do you want to say hello to everybody out there? Do you want to say anything? Okay, guess not. She's going to just sit on my lap. So that is Sky. I want to introduce you to our three websites uh, that we have connected with the Visit the Zoo. First of all is the main website. That is at zooanimals.info. And that's plural. Animals is plural. Zooanimals.info. My main author site is at frederickfishman, F-I-C-H-M-A-N.com. And our merchandise site is at zooswear.com. It's spelled Z-O-O-Z-W-E-A-R. Dot com. Okay, let's say we get started. And this is our animal news segment where we read animal news. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read one story and then I'm going to direct you to five curated stories uh, that you can go to. This first story, I read it and I thought, no, really? Come on. It's about humans who are eating large animals to extinction. I know that sounds crazy and unbelievable, but this is a story from Fox News, and the title is Earth's Largest Animals Could Disappear Because Humans Are Eating Them All. Okay, you ready? Humanity's meat-eating habits are killing off Earth's biggest animals at an alarming rate. That is according to a shock new study which found that at least 150 species are affected. Scientists warn that meat-heavy diets and traditional medicine practices are largely to blame for sharp declines in megafauna, the term used to describe Earth's largest creatures. Animals such as lions, elephants, giraffes, rhinos, Whales, sharks, sea turtles, alligators, and flightless birds like ostrich were analyzed in the work. Our results suggest we're in the process of eating megafauna to extinction, said study author and Oregon State University scientist Professor William Ripple. Through consumption of various body parts used in Asian traditional medicine, also exert heavy tolls on the largest species. In the future, 70% will experience further population declines and 60% of species could become extinct or very rare. 
Professor Ripple's team studied global numbers of nearly 300 species of megafauna. Any mammal weighing over 100 kilograms and any amphibian in birds or fish above 40 kilograms were studied. Of these species, 200 are in decline, while 150 are being placed at risk from being wiped out. Among those threatened is the Chinese giant salamander, which can grow up to six feet long. I just don't understand why anybody would want to eat a giant salamander. Considered a delicacy in Asia, it's under siege by hunting, development, and pollution. Its extinction in the wild is now imminent. Nine megafauna species have gone extinct in the wild in the past 250 years, including two species of giant tortoise and two species of deer. As well as hunting, the planet's largest species are also threatened by habitat destruction and unintentional trapping in snares and other devices, scientists say. Changing our diets may be the only way to save some of these iconic creatures. Preserving the remaining megafauna is going to be difficult and complicated. But if we don't consider, critique, and adjust our behaviors, our heightened abilities as hunters may lead us to consume much of the last of Earth's megafauna. And that study was published in Conservation Letters. We have five stories that you can also explore. You can read these curated content stories by going to two places, either by going to zooanimals.info and looking at the description of this episode and just clicking on the link, or by going to our blog here at Visit the Zoo, and it's called vtzlife.com. That's vtzlife.com, and just click on any of the links for these five stories. Story number one, the cutest animals at Super Pet Expo this weekend. Story number two, National Geographic Wild sends Howie Mandel's Animals Doing Things to Barkfest. Story number three, Mason County Paws seeks funds for help with fostered animals, no-kill shelter. Story number four is, what's the story on these animals? And this is a story about animals in grocery stores, service animals. And finally, story number five is, West China blizzards killed thousands of herd animals. Again, these stories are on zooanimals.info in the description or vtzlife.com. And just click on any of the links to these five curated content stories.
These are sounds of a very, very famous and well-known around-the-world bird, flightless bird, called penguins. And I wanted to drop this description in, in this episode, because chapter number 13, which is coming up next, is kind of blends into this description of penguins. They are flightless birds, they are flightless aquatic birds, and they are slow and clumsy on land, but they dance with beauty in the cold ocean waters off Antarctica. They spend half of their lives in the sea and the other half on land. In water, they feed on krill, fish, and also on squid. Almost all penguins are found in the southern hemisphere. The largest is the emperor penguin, which is about three feet, seven inches tall, weighing about 77 pounds. And the smallest penguin is the little blue penguin. It stands 16 inches tall and it weighs about 2.2 pounds. The larger penguins are found in the colder regions of Antarctica, and the smaller penguins are in the more temperate zones of the southern hemisphere. Some extinct prehistoric penguins were as tall and weighed as much as a man, as a human being. There are about now 17 to 20 living species, and they inhabit mostly the shores of Antarctica. Their wings are really used in water as flippers. They're flightless, of course. They stay mostly under, just under the surface of the ocean. They can swim up to 17 miles per hour. The emperor penguins have been reported to dive as much as 1,800 feet for up to 22 minutes. On land, they move slowly by waddling from side to side, and they live in crowded colonies and sometimes brutal snow and wind conditions. They have multi-layers of feathers to keep them from freezing to death. Most penguins lay two eggs per season. The larger penguins lay only one egg per season. Penguins are loved around the world for their upright waddling, and they generally have no fear of humans, and they will approach humans readily. They have no land predators to contend with. They have been the subjects of books and movies and documentaries for decades. Penguins are beloved and recognizable around the world as our Antarctic neighbors. We have two chapters left in our playing of Noah, an animal adventure fantasy. And today we're going to play chapter number 13 from that book that I wrote about a year ago. This book, by the way, is available on Amazon or Audible as a audio book, and it's in print, and also it's in Kindle form. And again, you can go to Amazon.com or to Audible.com for Noah, an animal adventure fantasy. And here is chapter number 13 from that book. Chapter 13 As soon as Manny and Noah stepped outside, they found themselves in frigid temperatures and a blinding snowstorm, creating near-whiteout conditions. The land around them was flat, with barely visible snow-covered mountains on the horizon. Everything visible was covered with snow and ice. The roar of the wind made conversation difficult. Manny motioned for the unsteady Noah to bend down. Manny shouted over the roaring wind. 
about fifty feet away. Manny looked around as best he could and then pointed. In that direction, there's an explorer's survival cabin. Let's move toward it. We have to get out of the wind and cold fast. Noah shouted back. I thought we were immune from conditions like this. We are in over-the-threshold conditions, however. No, we're not. Let's move. Noah was certainly not dressed for the blasting cold wind. It was a struggle for both to walk directly into the wind. At one point, after Manny was blown over by the wind and blinding snow, Noah had to pick him up to prevent him from being lost in the blinding tempest. Eventually, they made it to the small 10 by 10 foot cabin. There was no lock on the heavy metal door. They stumbled inside and struggled to slam the door shut against the fierce wind. A thick two foot square window provided some dim light from the exterior. Manny and Noah fell to the sturdy wood floor and looked around the emergency shelter. They could see a small but proper wooden stove with a stack of wood neatly stacked nearby. They saw a nearby shelf and were happy to see a box of matches. Other supplies and some basic food was visible in the small cabinet above the stove. Noah saw one single mattress on an unfolded cot. An open closet held some cold-weather clothing and several beat-up winter coats in various sizes. Okay, Manny, this is where my camping experience will come in handy. One of the first items on our to-do list is to start a fire. We are out of the wind, but it is freezing in here. Manny's teeth began to chatter. He shook his head in agreement, and for the first time since this adventure began, Noah felt truly helpful and needed. He found a crude but sharp kitchen knife and sliced off a sliver of wood from the pile. He then held it tightly as he began to feather off small strips of wood from the main piece of wood. He knew that would allow the entire piece to catch quickly. With the found matches, and luckily on the first strike, he was able to start the kindling he had prepared. The fire was started and going. He began to slowly add larger pieces of wood. Heat and warmth were finally produced, and their small shelter began to warm up. Manny jumped on the bed and wrapped a thin blanket around his small body. Noah found a small can of baked beans and an opener. He poured the beans into a small saucepan and set it on the flat-top wood stove. He looked down at the beans and then over to Manny. He said, Uh-oh, you don't eat beans, do you? Manny finally stopped shivering. This time I will make an exception. I'll have one or two beans. That's really all I need now. I need my energy back. Noah looked out of the window and said, Well, for sure, we can't go out in the storm and in that wind. We'll have to wait for it to die down 
before we can venture outside to continue on. Manny shook his head in agreement. So the small meerkat from the Kalahari Desert of Africa and a young boy from the southwest of the United States were huddled together in a crude survival shelter eating a can of baked beans warmed by a small wood stove. I am assuming, Manny, that you have brought us to this last continent on our journey, Antarctica, true? Manny held a small pointed piece of wood about the size of a toothpick. He stuck his nose into the saucepan and attempted to spear a single baked bean. Noah had to come to the rescue again. He lanced two beans together with the toothpick wood and offered them to Manny. Manny said thank you. He began to slowly chew onto the first bean with very small bites and then into another bean. He nodded his head in satisfaction. Hmm, not bad. Not great, but not bad. I should try human food more often. Noah said, I'd be careful with that if I were you. It could uh, upset your stomach. Manny asked, How so? Noah was reluctant to answer and tried to reply as diplomatically as possible. He said, Gas. Manny stared at Noah. Then, with sudden recognition, he shook his head in understanding and agreement. He continued to chew on that one bean. Noah then tried on one of the smallest of the winter coats he could find hanging in the closet. He discovered a pair of gloves inside one pocket. In one of the other coats, he found another pair of gloves, from which he crafted a crude but efficient coat for Manny. He found a beat-up pair of boots and put them on as well. They were now warm, and their stomachs were somewhat full. It was time for a nap. They climbed into the cot bed and pulled the covers tight. Manny moved right next to Noah in an attempt to keep warm. In a minute or two, they both fell asleep. They were content, happy, although a tiny bit cold. They had slept for no more than an hour when Manny stirred. He stared at the window and then down at Noah. Manny whispered, Noah, are you up? Noah then began to wake up. I am now. Noah stretched. He listened carefully to detect the sound of the storm or its ferocious winds. But the winds had stopped. The storm had miraculously cleared. And from what he could see of the sky, it seemed to be clear and a brilliant blue. I think the wind and snow have stopped, Manny. It seems so. Are you ready to go out and look around? As they clinched their coats tighter, they stepped out to a brilliant sun and absolutely no winds. The sun was warming and the air was still, but still cold. And it seemed not to penetrate as much as before. Manny looked at a small rise in the land no more than 100 feet away. Let's go in that direction. The hill drops off from there. When they reached the top of the hill, they immediately began to hear belching and bellowing sounds of a thousand large seals. The big clumsy creatures were huddled together on the rocky beach at the shore of a vast dark ocean beyond. It was only several hundred feet up from that beach 
Noah and Manny had an excellent view of the seals. Some of those seals lay quietly in the warming sun. Other seals jockeyed for position, screaming at one another with punctuated neck slaps to show dominance. Noah said, I've never seen so many seals in one place in the wild. I've seen smaller seals, the smaller guys at the pier in San Francisco, but these seals or walruses or whatever they are, are much bigger than those San Francisco pier seals. These big boys are called Waddell seals, Manny said. They are found around the circumpolar shoreline of Antarctica, where we are standing now. They are big how big, Noah asked. They can grow up to 12 feet long and weigh up to 600 pounds. You would not want to be in the middle of that mass of seals on the beach right now for sure. Manny paused. We would both be crushed. Although they are friendly and rather calm, uh, we shouldn't approach them. Will we? Manny let out a long sigh. He seemed suddenly subdued and slow to respond. Noah noticed but didn't say anything about his friend's quiet behavior. Manny said, When they are in the water, they eat mostly krill, squid, small crustaceans. And his voice trailed off. He then lifted his head and looked toward the sea. Noah looked as well. They suddenly saw several whales surfacing just offshore, large whales with black and white bodies. Noah was excited at the exciting. Manny, did you see that? Those are killer whales, right? Manny nodded. It's possible they're waiting for one of the several seals to go back into the water. Manny said, smart animals, smart animals, killer whales. Complex hunting techniques, language, very social animals, considered the top of the heap as apex predators in the sea. Nothing really hunts them. They're kings out here in their waters. Manny's lack of enthusiasm seemed to continue. He turned more towards inland, and off in the distance he spotted something else. He pointed, look out there, see that large grouping of emperor penguins? Noah caught sight of the large group, inland, but just off the shoreline. Yeah, I see them. Look how many of them. They usually establish colonies deeper inland, but this group is closer, closer to the shore. They usually live up to 20 years, but sometimes 50 years. They are 50 inches tall and weigh about 100 pounds. And they... Manny became quiet. He stared straight ahead, past the penguins, the seals, the killer whales. He was almost in a trance. Noah walked around in front of Manny. He was, he was concerned about his friend and his friend's sudden silence and lack of movement and enthusiasm. Manny, are you feeling okay? Are you okay? Manny did not answer immediately, and Noah knew something was up. He stepped closer to his meerkat friend. He lowered himself to Manny's level. Manny was still staring straight ahead. 
Manny, Manny. Manny then lowered his gaze and looked directly at Noah. Noah, let's go back to the shelter. Quickly. Manny turned and began a quick trek up the hill. Noah followed closely behind, trying to keep up. When they reached the top of the hill, not far away, they could see the shelter again. Manny made a direct path to the shelter. Both Manny and Noah were there in short order. But as they reached the door to the shelter, Manny veered off and then walked directly past it. Noah slowed and observed this strange behavior. He then sped up and followed Manny. They were not more than 20 or 30 feet from the back of the shelter when Manny stopped suddenly. He again stared straight ahead. As Noah approached, he then began to scan the horizon and saw nothing unusual at that moment. Noah closely watched Manny again and paid no attention to his surroundings. He was now truly worried at the strange, quiet, and distracted behavior that was coming from his usually gregarious friend. Noah bent down to Manny's level. He rested on his knees and stared directly at Manny. Noah's back was to the vastness of Antarctic behind him. What is it, Manny? What's wrong? At that moment, Manny's eyes became fixed. Tears began to well in his eyes. Noah said softly, What is wrong, my friend? What's wrong? Manny lifted his arms and pointed behind Noah. Noah turned, and on the horizon he saw a white fog, highly concentrated, moving toward the area where they were presently kneeling. The white fog made no noise. Noah then became quiet as well. His eyes grew wider as the fog began to turn a very faint green. It then intensified and became a darker green, and then a deep green, as it moved closer and closer. The green fog then began to form a horizontal vortex as it moved closer. The vortex then formed a tunnel, a green tunnel, and faintly in the tunnel, Noah could see foliage. And then Noah could see a trail, a trail that sloped upward. Noah then knew what was approaching. He turned back to Manny. Manny's arms were now down, resting on his stomach again. He looked straight into Noah's eyes. They were both on the same eye level. Manny then stepped very close to Noah, and he spoke softly. Noah, the animals, and I, we will always be nearby. We will share this world with you. We love life as you love life. We enjoy each and every day as you enjoy each and every day. There are so many different kinds of animals and humans on this earth we all share together. Manny drew even closer to Noah and said, But Noah, listen to me. Be your own kind of people, my friend. Always be true and honest with yourself. And always, always, always do whatever you want to do with your life. Don't let anyone tell you what you can or cannot accomplish. You can accomplish anything you want in life. Anything. 
Manny then smiled slightly. Remember, we will always be here. Manny pointed and then touched Noah at his heart. We will always be here. The animals, Jeremy, and me, your friend Manny. Manny, for the first time, held his arms out straight. Noah put his arms around Manny and squeezed him in a gentle hug. Noah stood and took two steps backwards. He was filled with excitement and sadness at the same time. He looked down at his friend, who was staring back at him. I will miss you, Manny Meerkat, Manny said. I will miss you, Noah, human being. Noah then turned and walked toward the green tunnel and the path. He stopped at the entrance. He heard a slight hissing sound. He turned for one more look at Manny. Manny's image was fading ever so slightly. Noah shouted, Will I ever see you again? Manny's image, the shelter, the Antarctic, slowly began to fade into another whiteout storm. The wind began to rise quickly. He thought he heard Manny's one-word reply to his question. He thought he heard a faint, perhaps. Noah was not sure. Noah quickly turned back to the green tunnel. The wind behind his back was pushing him towards the first step inside the entrance. The wind howled and almost screamed at him to enter the green tunnel, and he did. You know, I wrote it, and I understand what I wrote, but still hearing it like this, again, uh, is really a moving a moving chapter that I wrote there for Noah, an animal adventure fantasy. Well, this is a wrap for episode number 67 of the Visit the Zoo podcast. I want to thank you very much for joining me today, and I appreciate your participation. And I also, as I always do, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or 13 plus other podcast directories. Or you can go to zooanimals.info. That's zooanimalsplural.info. Check out our merch site at zooswear.com, and that's spelled Z-O-O-Z-W-E-A-R.com. And my main author website is at Frederick Fishman, spelled F-I-C-H-M-A-N dot com. So thank you again, everybody, for joining me today for another episode of Visit the Zoo. Take care. Bye-bye.